this morning, I'm excited to share a passage, and it's just one verse. And it is one verse that you can have memorized uh, by the time you leave uh, church this morning. Um, I don't know if anyone else is like this, and it's okay if you're not. Um, I'm just different. Uh, every November, early, uh, mid-November, early December, I begin praying, God, obviously the new year's coming up. Is there something that you would want me to focus on? I used to be the guy that at the end of the year, I'm like, all right, it's a new year coming, and I've got these 15 things, I'm excited to do this and see this and be part of that. But then the year would go on, and I had so many different things that I was hoping for, but I didn't focus on any one of them. And so I began streamlining, uh, streamlining uh, years ago. And so in November, I'm just like, God, is there a focus for me in 2014? Is there something that you just want for me and for my family, uh, something that you want me to just... Uh, remain focused on as I walk through the year. And honestly, it wasn't like this, you know, I I prayed and I didn't like turn the lights off and turn a candle on and lock myself in the basement. It was as simple as, God, what do you have for me? Michael, this is what I have for you. Uh, So it honestly was not longer than a few minutes. It came quickly and I was not surprised. I I mean, I think I laughed out loud when God uh, impressed on my heart what he had for me. Now, I know not everyone here knows me, but for those who know me, uh, I can be a pretty intense guy. Uh, I can be a pretty passionate, pretty driven guy. And I'm not saying like that's a bad thing, but I'm not the most laid back person in the world. Uh, I like to think I have moments of humor. I mean, I can be funny. I mean, not that funny, but I can be funny. Um, but I'm generally the guy that's rather intense. Like if you saw me and you just kind of passed me, you'd be like, man, that guy's like thinking about something. What the heck is he thinking about? Smoke's coming from his ears. Uh, the other, uh, um, you ever, you know who Jumbotron people are? Okay. Jumbotron people are, um, I was at the Celtics game on Friday night. My neighbors gave me free tickets to go see the Celtics and Kyle and I, 10 years of living in Boston had never been to a Celtics game. And so we went and, uh, we got there early cause you know, I just thought we were supposed to get there early. And I discovered that the Celtics is almost like church. The stadium was half-filled, or the arena was half-filled when the game started, and like 15 minutes into the game, I'm like, where did these 10,000 people come from? (laughs) Side note. Um, But before the game started, uh, you know, they got this huge TV jumbotron screen, and the camera guys are walking around, and someone's face would get put up on the jumbotron. And it was amazing, comical watching people, they're just kind of sitting you know, looking, and then someone nudges them. They're like, dude, your face. And they look up, and they're like, and like they just make these crazy motions. And like white guys who are middle-aged like me, they get on the camera on the Jumbotron, and they start like dancing. And like, I don't know how to dance, but I'm just going to do this. And everyone's laughing. And it was always funny when the camera would go on like a couple, and you could tell they were in a little bit of a, a tiff. Like, they were not getting along. And then they're like, oh, man, we're on the Jumbotron. So the guy, like, puts his arm around her, tries to start kissing her, acting all happy. Well, I like Jumbotron people. Now, have you ever met someone and you see them and, and they're just smiling all the time? Like, they're just happy, they're giddy. I like people like that. Now, I know some of you might want to punch them when you see them because they're just so annoyingly happy, uh, and it's sometimes hard to be around people like that. They're just smiling and laughing, and it's freezing outside, and they're just, they don't care. They're just laughing. I like them, 
Uh, because when I see what I'll just call jumbotron people who are just walking around like their face is on a big screen all the time, I always think to myself, Michael, why don't you smile more? Like, lighten up. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Uh, and I see them, and there's just this happiness, this giddiness, this smile. And I get maybe sometimes it doesn't come across to you as you just don't like that. But when I see the jumbotron people... Uh, I'm just like, man, I wish I would laugh more. I just, I wish I would smile more. I just wish I could lighten up. I tell you that because what God told me, what God really impressed on my heart for 2014, and here's the theme for me and Kyla and just for my family of what 2014 is, Michael, I just want you to enjoy me. And that's what God, when I prayed, uh, that's what I wrote down in my journal, enjoy God. Uh, Now, that might not come off to you, as like, well, that's new. I've never heard of that thought or that concept. But in many ways, it's pretty new to me. It's pretty new to me. I've had moments as I look back across my life where I can say, yeah, I absolutely enjoyed God. But as I've wrestled with this and thought about this, um, I just don't believe that God created me to have moments of enjoying Him. I think God wants me to learn how to enjoy him. I like how John Piper in his book, uh, The Dangerous Duty of Delight, he said this, he created you so that you might spend eternity glorifying him by enjoying him forever. Created you for eternity that glorify and you would enjoy him. Again, maybe it's not a new thing for you, but when God really impressed that on my heart a few months back, Uh, I was like, God, I'm excited for what 2014. If I could be a guy who grows and learning how to enjoy God, I'm pretty excited for what 2014 uh, would have for me. Now, again, I don't know. I'm going to try to be as personal as I can and share just what I'm learning and what God's been talking to me about. But when I hear the phrase uh, glorifying God and enjoying God, uh, I couldn't always articulate well uh, what that actually meant. I knew that God created me to glorify him. Isaiah 43, 7, uh, you can write this down. It just simply says, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Okay, so I know that God created me uh, that I would glorify him. But I will be honest with you. If you asked me and said, Michael, what does it really practically, tangibly look like to glorify God? I, I would have given you a spiritual thoughtful answer, but I'm not sure it would have actually been all that helpful. And if you asked me today, and if you just asked me what God's been teaching me in the recent past of what does it really look like, what does it mean to actually glorify God, I would simply say this, the way we glorify God is to enjoy God. The way that I can glorify God in my life in my marriage, in my home, in this church, in my community, in my neighborhood, the way that I can glorify God, live a life that is glorifying to Him, is to enjoy Him. Now, I don't know if anyone was up last night reading any uh, catechisms, but uh, the Westminster Catechism uh, opens up with this phrase. It says, uh, uh, this is quoting the Westminster Catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And what I wanted you to catch in that, in this, uh, in this phrase, in this catechism here, is did you catch that man's chief end? 
It's not ends. It's not two separate things happening here. Uh, I glorify God by enjoying God, and as I enjoy God, he's glorified. It's, it's two words maybe, glorifying and enjoying, but it's one thing, one thought happening. And so for me to glorify God, I, I need to learn how to enjoy God. And that's what God has for me this year, uh, that this would be the year. I'm not talking like walking around like a jumbotron person, but I'm talking, of, talking about being the guy that could honestly and sincerity say, if you ask me, Michael, could you please describe to me your relationship with God? I would say in all sincerity, I'm enjoying God. And so I wanted you to ask you that question. If someone asked you to describe, how do you relate with God? Like how, what does your relationship with God look like? What would you say? And be honest. What would you say when someone asked you to describe for them what your life with God, your walk with God, your relationship with God, what it really looked like? Would any of you, and I'm not asking you to raise hands, but would it occur to you to say, you know what? I just enjoy God. I am absolutely, wholeheartedly, sincerely can say I am enjoying God. I'm going to guess, for me at least, if you ask me, Michael, how do you enjoy God? I don't know. If I asked you, how do you enjoy God? I I promise if I asked, how do you worship God? How do you serve God? How do you be obedient to God? You'd say, well, this, this, and this, and this. But if I asked you, but how are you enjoying God? What would your answer be? And so for me, I'm, I'm very excited to learn and begin this journey of, that God's invited uh, me into and my wife into of enjoying him, enjoying who he is, enjoying what he's doing, whether it's with me or through me or around me. But this would be the year of just enjoying God. Now, the one thing I've realized is I'm not going to get to the end of 2014 and be like, well, sweet, I've enjoyed God. Now what's next? I don't get to the end of enjoying God and then move on to some new theme. But honestly, what I'm excited and, and hopeful for is what happens in 2014, my ability to enjoy God, it's going to saturate all areas of my life for the rest of my life. I just honestly feel if I get this, what God's trying to teach me about enjoying Him, it is going to saturate every aspect of my life for the rest of my life. So that 10 years from now, I could stand before you and say, Michael, how would you articulate the last decade of your life? Man, I enjoyed God. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you some stories of how I've grown in my experience and understanding and journey of enjoying God. Uh, John Piper in his book, uh, When I Don't Desire God, which is a very helpful read, said this, I was made to know and enjoy God. The full enjoyment of God is my ultimate home, but I am still far off and one on the way. I just relate with that. I know that is my home, is enjoying God. And I am still far off, but I am one who has decided to make the journey uh, this year and hopefully impact the rest of my life of one who now knows how to enjoy God. I'm 26 days into this journey of enjoying God, and to be honest, it's not been easy. I don't 
wake up every morning like all smiley and happy and giddy for the day. Uh, And honestly, what I have learned so far in the first 26 days of this journey is that there are many things that are seeking to drag me away from enjoying God. It was almost like the second I said, and God revealed, like, Michael, I just want you to enjoy me. And I was like, yes, I don't know what that means, but I'm excited to explore and investigate and learn and grow. And it was almost the moment I made that decision to head in that direction, I just got hit with so many different things that are seeking to drag me away from that very thing. Uh, St. Augustine, in his story of how he came to faith, it's a book called Confessions, he said this, I was astonished that although I now loved you, I did not persist in my enjoy, persist in enjoyment of my God. I just, before I read the rest and before you read on, can you relate with that at all? You're the one who would say, I know that God loves me. I know that God has an affection. It's been demonstrated to me in Jesus. I am one who is astonished that although I, I, I know I'm loved, I didn't persist in actually enjoying the one who loves me. And uh, Augustine goes on to say, your beauty drew me to you, but soon I was dragged away from you by my own weight, and in dismay I plunged again into the things of this world. I tell you what, in 26 days I can say, man, I relate well with that. The moment you decide to say, I'm headed in this direction, there will be opposition to say, no, 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 don't go in that direction. Can you connect at all with that? You know the God who loves you and has called you, but yet you forgot to persist in enjoying having a relationship with that God. Um, But this is the beauty of when I've been dragged away from enjoying the one whose love for me is perfect, uh, I am reminded of the passage I want to share with you today. Uh, And it's an incredible invitation. In the past 26 days, the moments where I'm getting enticed uh, to not enjoy God and seek to enjoy other things, this is the invitation that comes to mind. And again, when I read Scripture, I pay attention uh, as best as I can. But when an invitation happens, man, my, my heart just leaps. Some of my favorite invitations in Scripture, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. First Peter chapter 5. What an amazing invitation that God says, I don't want you walking around with those bags filled with fear and condemnation and anxiety and worry. Give that to me. Why? Because I care for you. Isn't that an amazing invitation? Another invitation from Jesus, he says, come to me, all you who are tired and weary, and I'll give you rest. Come to me if you're burned out and you're exhausted, and I will give you rest. Those are two favorite invitations, but I think hands down my favorite invitation in all of Scripture is Psalm 34, verse 8, and it simply just says this, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Isn't that amazing? That God would actually invite you, and He's God, that He would invite you just to say, taste and see that I am good. Oh, the joy of those who take refuge in Him, whose home is in Him. 
I want to ask the question, and uh, the question is simply this. Do you believe that God is good? Now, before anyone shouts out, and no one did in the first service all the time, um, I really want you to wrestle with this question. I don't mean just like universally good to the world. Do you believe that God is good to you? I want to make it personal. Like, are you one who is walking around saying, I have tasted and seen, and I believe, I am convinced that God is good to me? If you would have asked me years back, my answer to that question, if someone said, Michael, do you really believe that God is good? To be honest with you, my answer was simply this. Well, it depends. What does it depend on? And it generally depended on two things. The first thing was whether or not I was good. Because what I noticed is when I thought I was being good and spiritual and doing everything that I thought God wanted me to do, when I was being good, then I experienced God's goodness. But when I was being sinful and arrogant and prideful and just doing whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it, I would not have said God is good. Because the way I interpret it is my goodness impacted his goodness and my badness impacted my ability to receive, understand, know uh, his goodness. And because I answered the question, it depends on my, my performance, and I've shared this before, I've wasted so many years in my life living under the banner that God is disappointed in me. That when God looked at me, he just shook his head in just divine disgust. When are you going to get it, Davis? When are you going to stop being so stinking selfish and prideful and the list was long? And so, no, I did not believe God was good because I was driven by a performance. If I performed well, then I thought God would be good. So did I believe God was good? Years ago, I would have said it depended. And the second thing I said it would have depended on was just simply this, my situation or my circumstance. Because I'm sure you've wrestled with this as well. God, if you're so good, why on earth is this happening to me? Because clearly, if you were good, you wouldn't allow this to happen. And for me, I didn't wrestle with that one as much of why is this happening to me. I wrestle with the converse of that of, God, if you're good, why isn't this happening to me? Why are you holding out on me? Why are you withholding what you clearly know I want, I need, I love. So again, I'll ask you the question, do you believe that God is good? And I do want to follow up with that question of, what is your answer based upon? Is it based upon who God is and what God is like, or is your answer based, of, based upon your performance, what you do or don't do, or is it based upon your situation or your circumstance. But what Psalm 34, 8 reminds me is that God wants all of us to encounter and experience something that is true of him, regardless of our performance, regardless of what our situation and circumstance is. God wants us to taste and see that he is good, and his goodness does not change when we change. Isn't that awesome? I cannot change who God is. There's nothing that I could do that would change God's posture towards me, that he loves me. There's nothing that I could say where it would cause God enable to be who he is. He is good. Taste and see 
that I am good. Two things about this invitation that really uh, jump out to me, and the first one is just this. This invitation, it's relational. God is inviting you to him. He's not inviting you to like a cosmic force and energy, a spiritual power. He's not inviting you to participate in something that's really not a known entity. God is inviting you to be with him. Isn't that amazing? The God who created everything, the God who sustains everything, the God who is perfect and eternal and holy, and you go through the list of who God is, he wants to know you. And not only that, he wants you to know him and experience who he is. Taste and see that I am good. So this invitation is first relational. And then I really want you to get this, this invitation, this invitation, it's unconditional. I don't have time to get into the story of King David, the the man who wrote uh, this psalm, but if you're at all familiar with his story, uh, he was far from perfect. Adultery and deception and murder, trying to cover the whole thing up. But what I love about King David is even after all of that happened, he pins in, in Psalm 34, but taste and see. God is good. My sin did not somehow change God's stance or change God's character. And I love that this invitation, it's not based on a condition, you'll experience my goodness if you do this. It is an unconditional invitation from God to you, to me, to taste and to see that he is good. Maybe write it down like this, no one is ruled out. So I know it's easy to believe, Michael, you don't know me. You don't know what I did last night. Nonetheless, what my week looked like. This invitation might be for everyone else sitting around me. I just want you to know you're not ruled out. God is inviting you to taste and to see that he's good. Not because you've been good, but because he is good. Um, As I spent time with uh, this Psalm 34, 8, uh, one verse uh, I've come to see uh, that God is not just loving and that he invites us to experience who he is and what he is like, this taste and see. He wants us to encounter and experience his goodness. And this will be hard, and I want to wrestle with you on this one, but God is loving and that he will allow you and I to taste and see the emptiness of a life apart from him. See, we're going to taste and see something. What God wants us to taste and see is his goodness. But he allows us, he loves us enough that he will allow us to taste and see the emptiness of living a life apart from him. Uh, There's a powerful story in the Old Testament. Uh, You might be familiar with it. It's Moses is on the mountain uh, talking with God, receiving from God what God has for the people. Uh, but Moses is gone longer than the people wanted. And so they're like, Moses is gone. He's left us. Clearly, God's left us as well. So we're going to make an idol. And uh, they make an idol in, in the form of a calf. And they begin dancing and worshiping and singing this golden calf. And as you can imagine, Moses comes down from the mountain and is just confounded and angry. How could you so quickly turn from the God who rescued and redeemed you? How, how could you do that? 
And I don't know if this is good leadership or not, but it's in the Bible. And Exodus, Exodus 32, verse 20, says this. He took the calf that they had made, and he burned it. And then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and he forced the people to drink it. Some of you might be like, that's, that's bad leadership, Michael. Don't, don't ever put anything in the water here at Genesis. <laughs> but as I really just was thinking, like, why would he do that? What's the point? Like, melt the, the, this uh, golden idol, this golden calf and powder, and then throw it in the water, make people drink it? Why would he do this? And the answer I wrote down is he wanted the people to see that what we worship will have a taste in our mouth. And God loves us enough to sometimes taste the emptiness of the idols that we often give ourselves, our time, our affection to. He loves you enough to let you taste what I can't even imagine what a golden calf burned and powdered and thrown in water would taste like. I can't imagine one person there that day would have said, man, this tastes good. We should bottle this stuff up. If you've ever seen the movie um, uh, Stand By Me, uh, there's this scene, there's a pie-eating contest, and um, one kid is just eating and eating and eating, and he's, anyone see the movie? All right, to the four of you people, then I hope this connects with you. <laughs> this one kid starts throwing up, like it's terrible, and then another kid sees this kid throwing up, and he starts throwing up. And in the movie, like literally rows and rows, they're just vomiting all over the place. And as I was thinking about this story, I'm like, they had to be vomiting all over the place. It had to be the nastiest scene ever. They're drinking this terrible thing, and it tastes terrible. And then to see a community of people, thousands of people, just vomiting this thing up. That's God's grace. And I know, it's like, well, Michael, you got a weird idea of grace. But it's a picture of grace, that God loves us enough to allow us to taste the emptiness. I am so thankful for the many times that God has allowed me to taste the emptiness of a life apart from Him. And I remember when I was in college, uh, sophomore year, at uh, The Ohio State University, and I woke up, and uh, it was one of those mornings, just woke up and just filled with guilt and shame and condemnation for everything that happened the night before, and I remember I just went to the bathroom, and this won't be shocking, but I was crying my eyes out, and I just, I physically got sick, and it didn't occur to me in that moment at the bathroom, uh, but it occurred to me not too long after that, God allowed me to taste the emptiness of everything that I was chasing and pursuing, everything that I was trying to fill my life with. He allowed me to taste the emptiness, and it caused me to throw up. Now, if you would have asked me in the bathroom, I would not have said, well, that was very gracious of God. But I look back at the many times in my life now, and I'm like, God, thank you for allowing me to taste the emptiness of it all. So my question for you is this, is what you're currently worshiping right now, does it taste good? Does it leave a taste in your mouth where you're saying, you know what, this is good? 
There's a great book that uh, Tim Keller, uh, who's a pastor at a church in New York, wrote called Counterfeit Gods. And in the book, he's trying to help people identify what are the counterfeit gods that we often worship. And when I say worship, we give our thoughts to, we give our time to, we give our affection to. And he said this, uh, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. What do you enjoy daydreaming about? What occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think about? Do you develop uh, potential scenarios about career advancement or material goods such as a, a dream home or a relationship with a particular person? What do you habitually think about to get joy and comfort in the privacy of your heart? And he goes on in the chapter and says, whatever that is or those things are, those are your counterfeit gods. And I will tell you that God loves you enough to allow you to taste the emptiness of chasing, pursuing anything other than who he is. God not only loves us enough to allow us to taste and see that anything other than him will not taste good, but because he is good, he has the power to drive away lesser things and replace it with himself. I really want you also to catch that. It's not only that he allows us to taste the emptiness of the things that we try to fill ourselves with. God is good enough to say, I will chase those things away and I will replace that emptiness that you have, I will replace it with myself. Again, quoting from St. Augustine's uh, book, Confessions, he said this, How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and took their place. O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my Savior. God, you not only drove uh, drove those counterfeit gods away, but you saw fit because you are good to replace them with you. Why? Because God says, taste and see that I am good. Uh, In college, um, I ate Taco Bell at least five days a week. I ate a lot of Taco Bell. Back in the day, I don't know what the current deals are, but you could get a 10-pack for $3.99. And you can only live on ramen for so long before you actually start getting sick. And so I upgraded from ramen to Taco Bell. And I was an athlete at the time, burning about 10,000 calories a day. And so I could afford to uh, eat 10 tacos about five, six days a week. Uh, And at the time, I loved it. It was cheap. It tasted absolutely great. But then shortly after college, I was introduced to something that changed my life forever. (laughs) Chipotle. (laughs) I've tasted the goodness, and I've lost my appetite for imitations. (laughs) Now, I was uh, traveling and uh, uh, at the airport, and uh, I just wanted to get a bite to eat, and they don't have many options, and the options they had was few fast food restaurants that didn't really seem appealing. And I saw Taco Bell. I was like, man, I haven't had Taco Bell in like 15, 16 years. Let's go visit the Bell. And uh, no offense to Taco Bell if you like it, but I felt nasty. It was terrible. Like I ate it and I was like, what was I thinking? Like, I mean, I won't give you the details, but it didn't leave me alone for a few days. (laughs) 
And I know this might seem like a bit of a stretch, but that's the way it is with God. Once you've tasted and seen who God is, what God is like, everything else will pale in comparison. Once you have tasted and seen who God is, what God is like, the counterfeit gods that we often give ourselves to, they'll pale in comparison. And this is the incredible invitation and gift that God has for us, is he wants us to experience the real thing. Again, maybe silly uh, metaphor here, but do you think a fish would be happy and content living on a sandy beach? I think most of us would say, no, Michael, a fish would not be happy or content living on a sandy beach. Well, what if I told you, hey, I'm going to give this fish a girlfish. He can have a girlfriend. Uh, I'm going to give this fish, like, really nice fish currency, whatever fish currency is, and he'll be totally set. I'm going to give this fish a really nice thing, uh, uh, home to live in. It's going to be the envy of all of his fish friends. If I surrounded this fish with all of these things, do you think that the fish would be happy? Do you think that the fish would have enjoyment living on a sandy beach with his girlfish in his fishy car, in his fishy home? Like, do you think he would be like, this is great. I absolutely love it. The answer is no, because anything apart from the water will leave him wanting for the place which he was created to live. So no matter what you surround that fish with, he will always look out at the water and be like, I'm supposed to be there. And no matter what I surround my, my fishy self with, until I get myself in the water where I was meant, created, fashioned to live, I will always be left wanting. What I would say, you were created to know God. And not only know God, you were created to enjoy Him. And when we seek enjoyment from lesser things, we're like that same silly fish trying to live in a place we were not created to live, surrounding ourselves. Maybe this will make it better. Maybe it won't be so hard to breathe if I get this in my life. C.S. Lewis, um, in his book uh, called Reflections uh, on the Psalms, uh, really was wrestling with joy and enjoyment. Uh, and he was talking a lot about the things that we often go to looking for joy slash enjoyment. And he said this, but these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. There is only one thing for us. We were created by God, for God, to enjoy God. Anything apart from that, we're missing it. We're missing it. So let me begin to wrap up by just asking this question. Today, what are you looking to or toward to fill you? What are you looking to? And if you answer anything other than God, you will be left wanting. You will be left like that fish looking at the ocean saying, man, I just... I know if I could get in the ocean. So what are you looking to today? And why I was excited about sharing this message with you today. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for what God has for me and my wife and family in 2014. This invitation, Michael, I want you to learn 
and grow and enjoying me. But I was excited to share it with you because I don't think a lot of people enjoy God. I think a lot of people feel like I got to work for God. I got to make sure I don't do this so God is this towards me. And I don't think there's a lot of people who are walking around saying, you know what, I just enjoy God. There's nothing in my life that brings me more joy, more satisfaction than God. And I want that for me, and I want that for you. And I just finished with this um, challenge, this thought, is um, we cannot enjoy God apart from knowing Jesus. If you do know Jesus, and you, and I don't mean just know Jesus, there's a, a tremendous difference between knowing Jesus uh, in a relational way and knowing about Jesus. I'm not talking about knowing about what Jesus said. I'm not talking about knowing what Jesus did. I'm not talking about telling stories. Uh, I'm talking about if you know Jesus, you have received Jesus into your life as the only way that you can be made right with God then you know what? You are on the road to learning, like me, how to enjoy God. Not just in the moments of life, but in every moment of life. And my heart for those that are here today, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you've thought about him, but you've never actually received the invitation to begin that relationship, then I just wanted to invite you to do that today. A favorite verse that I share often on Sundays uh, is 1 Peter 3, verse 18. It says this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Isn't that an amazing picture, a summary of what Jesus did? He was perfect, without sin, but he died for sinners so that sinners could be brought back safely home to God. Why? Because you were created to be at home with God to enjoy Him. So if you've made that decision, if your home is with God because you've placed your faith in Jesus, then today I, just, I will challenge you. Are you looking to anything other than Jesus for your satisfaction? And if you are, repent of that today. If there's some counterfeit gods that you're like that fish trying to surround yourself with, then would you just repent of that today and say, God, I've been looking to this and this and this, but no more. I want to grow in enjoying you and only you. And for those of you who have not made that decision, it's just an expression of faith to say, God, I trust in Jesus, his perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to bring me home with you.